There is still one King, that is over all. So I will not fear, for this truth remains, that my God is the Ancient of Oh my God. 
seated. For what a friend we have in Jesus, we can look at Philippians 4, 6-7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, for thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Perhaps the main message of this hymn is found in the second verse, which says, Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. The last line of the hymn is the promise. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. That will find a solace there. It was written in 1855 by Joseph Scriven as a poem to his bedridden mother in Ireland. Father in heaven, we just want to thank you so much that we do have that friend, Jesus Christ, that you gave us for the sacrifice of our lives. We give you praise and glory and honor for that, Lord. We thank you that we can take all our hurts and our sorrows, our sins, and give them to him. And we know that he'll take care of it. Lord, bless these folks, Lord, as they've given out of the gratitude of their hearts, because of not only they know that you've given yourself for us, but all the other blessings we've received from your hand. Thank you, God, for being such a wonderful God to us. In Jesus Christ's name we pray this. Amen.
Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that we have this wonderful privilege to come to you in prayer and to lay down, Lord, all our concerns and our worries, to be able to know that we have a friend who listens to us every day. I want to pray especially, Father God, today for our nation. I pray, Lord, that you will open the door and open the eyes of people to see that our leadership, the responsibility that they have, but also to keep this wonderful country the way the early fathers framed it and did in the Constitution, one nation under God, and a God that is great and wants all, Lord, here to hear his voice. Thank you, Lord, for that privilege, and we pray for them to guard safely this thing we call democracy. I pray for those who are in foreign countries right now, those who are on battlefields and those who are even in our streets protecting us. And Lord, you'll be with them too as they put their lives on the line every day for us to keep us safe and to keep us in our freedom. And today, Heavenly Father, too, we want to lift up our brothers and sisters in Christ who are shut in right now. We think of Bill and we think of Evelyn and we think of Lucille and Karen and Kay. And we thank you, Lord, that Joyce was with us this morning. And I pray for her, especially as she gets a procedure this week, Lord, that you'll guide and direct the doctors and that she'll come through very safely. I want to pray also, too, for Larry's stepdad, who's failing in his health. And also, uh, Lord, for my cousin Nancy, who found out she's got breast cancer and is going to have a radical done. I pray for her healing. I think of Angie, too, who has found out she's got cancer and for Todd as he ministers to her. And also, too, Lord God, I pray for uh, Samantha and her, her parents as they minister to her with her brain cancer. And for Mark uh, Dops, who also has brain cancer, and I pray for his healing. I pray also, too, Father God, for Sarah. I also lift up others, Father, that we know of for um, <clears throat> a, a young person that has uh, health issues. I pray especially, too, this past week for uh, the family of the young person that I ministered to, Lord, who took her life. I just pray that you'll be with Anthony and, and Amanda and their family as they try to make sense of this, but also to uh, deal in their grief and sorrow and sadness. And I pray also, too, Lord, for those that you know that are battling the addictions. Lord, we think of Ryan and Jordan and David and Eric and Ricky and Mitch. These young people whose lives are being torn apart because of this foolishness of drugs. I just pray, Father God, you'll help them to see what they see. And what they need to see is you, Jesus. I pray also, too, Lord, for a sister who is struggling right now with her health. And the doctors have found cancer in her. I just pray for her healing. I pray for an Aunt Katie that has to have surgery. And a fellow by the name of Jack who has some medical problems and most likely will be cancer. Just pray for him and for his healing and for his strength. For our brother Bill's uh, sister and for a friend of his who's also uh, got health issues and cancer and whose wife left him, Lord Jesus. I just pray that you'll be comforting to him. And for other situations in our lives, Lord, we lift them up to you in the quietness of our, hear our prayers, Lord. 
as we lift them by name, you know who they are and what they need. for a friend that's going through difficulties in his marriage and I just pray that you'll heal that wounded marriage and that you restore it to its fullest that it's never been before with you Jesus at the center and now Father God we come to you and we thank you for your word that speaks to our hearts every day and gives us what we need Lord thank you in your name we pray Amen did you miss it? Did you miss on Wednesday that special day? Good riddance day. In New York City, 16 years ago, a group of people got together and started a new holiday called Good Riddance Day. And what they did is they put up not only a, a garbage can with fire in it to burn papers, but they also now have gotten to the point where they have several machines that will chop up papers for you so that you can get rid of some of the things that have affected you in the year 2022. They've been at it for 16 years and it continues to grow every year. In fact, one guy blogged, he says, I've got a whole list I got to get rid of. And what they do is they shred those painful memories, the bad experiences, the bad relationships, foolish mistakes, even divorce papers they shred in these shredders. And you know, it's interesting that we as Christians know that it's good to begin new in Christ. We believe in that. We're changed and all things become new in Christ. But we also know that forgiveness is a very vital part of letting go of the past and starting off anew. And today, as we end our journey through Corinthians, Paul gives us words that we need to hear in order for us to continue to surge forward in our Christian lives. If you remember, the Corinthians were struggling with three main problems. Number one, an I was immorality. We know that they had the Aphrodite's temple and they sent thousand prostitutes every night into the city. And some of the men of the church still were frequenting these women and their marriages were troubled. And so Paul speaks about that. He speaks about marriage. He also spoke about incestuous relationship that was going on in the congregation. And Paul just said this should not be and that God is not pleased and that they need to bring that under the lordship of Christ. The second eye was their immaturity. They didn't share food at even the dinners. And they all began to play the celebrity game when it came to preachers. And they also were immature when they got spiritual gifts, which were for the body and the edification of the body. But instead, they thought it was a badge of their ego and how great they were because they had these gifts, which was so totally wrong. It was very selfish. And then finally, the third eye, which was immortality. They didn't understand about life after death. They didn't believe in that the Greeks did not. This was a whole new idea for them. 
And some of them believed in hedonism, which is live today because you don't have to worry about tomorrow. So live it up, be merry, party now. Another group believed in pantheism, that you just go back into a plane again. So it doesn't matter what you do with your body. And then Gnosticism, in which it says it's just a matter of what your spirit says. And Plato jumped on that and said, your spirit is fine. It goes back into the eternal, but nothing happens with your body. And Paul says, wait a minute. That's not the truth. The truth is that not only when we die, our spirits are alive and with Christ. But our bodies are very important to God and they will come back and be renewed. And that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, so don't use it wrongly. And then he talked about the resurrection. He said, how do we know this? Well, look at the changes in the people's lives who accepted Jesus as their Savior. Look at myself and how it changed me. He said, then look at the few, what happened in the past, how it was foretold that Christ would come born of a baby. Isaiah 7, where it says, will be born of a virgin. And that will be in Bethlehem, Michael said. And that came true. And that he will rise again. He will die, but he will rise again, according to the scriptures, Paul says. And then if you really want to get more about it, that he saw, he was seen, and he was touched, and he spoke. This resurrected body of Jesus Christ went around and spoke to people. But then... The Apostle Paul, at the end of his remarks on the resurrection, how Adam and Eve have destroyed and caused us to live under this curse of sin, and the number one thing that brought was death. But Paul now says at the end of chapter 15, Oh, death, where is your sting? He's mocking death. Oh, death, where is your victory? You don't have any, because in Jesus Christ, we're alive again. Our bodies will be reunited with us and with the Lord. And he gives this great victorious chapter. And then, for his last chapter, verse 16, he drops from the heavenly ecstasy of rejoicing in heaven back to earth. And he deals with four different areas that we live in every day. And you sit there and go, how could he drop that way? And the first thing he does, he does it with three things. He does it with money. He talks about his plans and how we plan our days. He talks about our relationships. And he talks about the pressures that are on us as Christians. And when he says about finances, look what he says. Now, regarding the question about the money being collected to God's people in Jerusalem, you should follow the same procedure I gave to the church in Galatia. On the first day of the week, you should, put, you should each put aside a portion of the money you have earned. Don't wait until I get there and then try to collect all at once. And when I come, I will write letters of recommendation for the messengers you choose to deliver your gift to Jerusalem. And then it seems appropriate for me to go along, they can travel with me. Now, one of the things Jesus talked about right off the bat, Jesus said... How we handle our money is very important. He says, beware. Guard against all kinds of greed. For life is not measured by what we own. You see, Paul said it in Timothy. He said to him, love of money leads to all kinds of roots of all evil. 
And that's why the scriptures speak about this. And I, Paul starts off with that because he understands our sinful nature. And that we need to be very careful as God has blessed us to be able to use it for his glory and for his good. God doesn't need our money. He doesn't. The church may need it, yes, but God doesn't need it. But he asks us and says to us to give so that it doesn't grab a hold on to our hearts. So that we are not held by its grasp. And one of the ways to do that is by giving, tithing. Luther said there's three conversions that need to take place in our lives. Number one is the conversion of our hearts. The second is the conversion of our minds. And the third is the conversion of our wallets. And you can tell folks where a person's heart is by two things. How they arrange their calendar and how they spend their money during the week. Those are good indicators of what is a priority in our lives. We've seen Christian leaders terribly misuse money. To claim that God has called them to get a $55 million jet. Or that they use their money to bind their own island. And they have four or five Cessna jets on it. Is that for the glory of God? I don't believe so. And yet we've seen it. Paul understands as we should. To be so careful with money. And that's why he brings this up. Right after the resurrection. He comes to this mundane thing. and says be careful about your money. It can take away your soul. And then he says. Number one. On the first day of the week. That's worship day. That's the day we as Christians come to worship the Lord. And it changed that from the Saturday night. Which the Jews did for creation. That we do it on Sunday morning and on Sunday, the first day of the week, because we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, take that and make that your work. It's part of your worship. That's why we take an offering here. It's worship. And that we do it systematically. Notice what he says on the first day of the week. Don't hurry it up and try to get it. Do it proportionately, he says. Do it systematically. Put aside a portion. Don't do it in a hurried way. I know this idea of proportion is tough. Because I had a couple come to me at my first church. Real strong Christian couple. He was a new engineer. And she was a secretary. And they had married. And they had two little babies. And it was hard for them to tithe. And she came so ridden with guilt. Because she couldn't tithe. And she and her husband shared with me how they wanted to, but they couldn't afford it because the rents were so high in New Jersey and all the other expenses were high. I was just barely making it. And I shared with them that Paul talks about proportionate. What you can give to honor the Lord and what you can give. It's like people on fixed incomes. Some churches will make big fundraisers for their buildings and say $50 each person and we could nail this down. And, and, and there's poor people in their congregation couldn't even afford that. And that's why Paul says proportionately. And notice why he was doing it, it was for purpose. The Bible tells us that the offerings are for number one so that the word of God is preached throughout. And that's why we have this building. That's why we, I get a salary from the church because we proclaim the word of God and we give the word of God to people. 
The second purpose of it is to relieve people who are struggling, who have difficulties in life, and support a ministry of mercy to help those and to share with their burden. And that's why giving is so important. And so we do it purposefully. And that the church is responsible to handle it honestly. It's so tragic when we find out about somebody who's been embezzling from a church. Or that pastors have lived in these exorbitant mansions. And, done, and, and is that for the glory of God? No. We need to be very careful of our use for money. Even in the church. Because you see... Some churches can build a huge church, great programs, all kinds of things. But if they take away from Christ and that it's just for the fellowship and friendship and stuff that they have at church and doesn't focus on Christ, it's a missed opportunity. I was reading about this when the Duke of Milan had Leonardo da Vinci dispatched to, to point, paint for him the Lord's Supper. We've all seen that painting. And when he painted it, he did a beautiful job, but the chalices especially, he did it so ornately and so beautifully that the Duke said to him, I just can't take my eyes off those chalices, how good a job you did. And it was at that point that Leonardo da Vinci wept. And he grabbed the painting and went back to his studio and changed those chalices to ordinary chalices. And it was asked to him why he did that in his painting. And he said, because the chalices were taking the eyes off of Jesus. And everybody was looking at the chalices. He never wanted that. And we need to do that too with our money to present Jesus and for the world to see him and that we use it for that. And it's at that point the Bible says to us, be careful how we use our money and use it for the glory of God. Then the second thing Paul talks about is future plans. I don't know about you, but I try to plan out my day and a lot of times it doesn't make to what I want it to be. But that's understandable, especially if you're open to what God is leading you to do. Paul makes out his plan in order to be able to be effective in the ministry and sharing the gospel throughout Asia and throughout Southeast Asia. Look at what he says, though, how he is very flexible with his schedule because he knows God will change it at times. Because he wants to do what the Lord wants him to do and not what Paul wants to do. And so look what he says. I'm coming to visit you after I've been in Macedonia, for I am planning to travel through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay a while with you, possibly all winter. Now Paul is being a realist here because he knows that if you get on a ship in the winter, it's a very dangerous thing and some ships don't make it. And so he's being practical. And then you can send me on the way to my next destination. This time, I don't want you to make just a short visit and then go on right on. I want to come and stay a while if the Lord will let me. 
And in the meantime, I am staying here in Ephesus until the festival of Pentecost. There is a wide open door for a great work here, although much opposition, many oppose me. Now here the Apostle Paul is planning to do these things, but if you notice, there's always the catch that he's open if God has other plans for him. I listened to a tape the other night, or, and it was beautiful because it talked about the leading of the Holy Spirit. And, and sometimes it's just being obedient to the Holy Spirit, and you don't realize the impact it has on what God can do through that as you're obediently following his will. And here, the apostle sees the opportunity. He says there are a possibility that he may not be able to come or that he has to do a change of direction. And in fact, this is what happened to Paul in Acts chapters 15 and 16. He wanted to go to Southeast Asia. And yet, God sent a messenger. Some believe it's an angel. And that he said, no, Paul, don't go here. Don't go to Asia. Go to Macedonia. Now, to us, we're thinking, what's the big deal? I'll tell you what the big deal is. If Paul had not listened to God at that point, we would not be Christians here today. In fact, he would have gone to Asia and shared the gospel there. This is called the Macedonian call. And instead, he listened to what the Spirit said, whatever this being was, and calling him over to Macedonia, which was Europe. And that's where he shared the gospel into Europe that came to be Western civilization and Christianity overtook Western civilization and was spread to America. That's why we have many churches, hospitals named after churches and after uh, uh, saints. Why? Because Western civilization at that juncture, Paul changed his way from Asia and went to Macedonia, which brought Christianity throughout the Western world. And it changed our world. And we are the recipients of that one change that Paul made that has a total impact on us and our civilization. That's why we're, we, were a Christian, we are a Christian country, because of that change that Paul made. Paul had a B plan and also a C plan when God called him to other places. And he made decisions. And notice what it says. If the Lord wills it. I can remember my father praying. And he would pray for a lot of our needs at the table. And what we wanted and what we needed and people we needed to have healed. After every supper. And then he would say that phrase of Jesus in the garden. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Paul had that attitude. In Proverbs it says, in Proverbs 11 it says, we make the plans, but God arranges our steps. And that we live in that idea that we do it for the Lord's sake. And that if the Lord wills us to do. Notice Paul stayed a while in Ephesus because there was an open door. God showed him how great it was. 
He was persistent in what he did. And his persistence was doing the will of God. That should be our hearts. That should be our desires in our lives. We see that in Jesus in Luke's gospel, chapter 9, verse 51. Jesus knew he was going to Jerusalem to die. And the Bible says right there, it says, And Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. Why? Because he was going on his perfect mission to die for our sins. And we have to have that persistence. Many of you have heard of the great revolutionary naval captain by the name of John Paul Jones. He was an admiral. And he was so persistent that he was surrounded by British ships. And one of the admirals from the Britons say, are you ready to surrender? You know what he said? Sir, and you've all heard this line before, we've just begun the fight. And he won the battle. That's why he was named as a great naval hero in our history of America. Because he fought and fought hard and won the battle. And that we don't allow, and this is key, folks, that we do not allow our circumstances to cut us off from the opportunities that God has for us. You know, sometimes we have circumstances in our lives and we're sad and depressed about it. We can't understand. That may be the opportunity for you to even give God more glory in your life. Even though you may not like the circumstance, he can be pushing your edge to grow you stronger in him and that you have to trust him and to use it for an opportunity. I was reading about a couple in Tyler, Texas who had just retired. They started doing all the retirement things and one day they felt that they could had so much energy, there's something else that God could do through them. And one day they were sitting down with some friends at lunch. And they were talking to them and those friends had a son who was mentally retarded. And they were talking about it and their biggest burden and they found out that this was not anything new for this couple, but lots of couples feel this way. When you have a mentally retarded child that's older, your fear is what's going to happen when you're both gone? Who's going to care for them? And they began to pray about it. They began to ask questions. And to today in Tyler, Texas, there's a place called Breckenridge Village that they decided that God called them on a mission to set up a special place for mentally retarded adults whose parents are concerned about what's going to happen to them in the future. And that there's a Christian environment in which they live in. And they opened that as an opportunity to give glory to God. God's got them in all of our lives. And he shows us those. Are we willing to claim them? Are we giving in to our circumstances and think God can't change them? He can. We can't allow opposition, tough circumstances to stop us. We must be strong in the battle. Paul had it in Ephesus. 
He was getting all kinds of harassment. In fact, listen to what he says, writing about his experience in Ephesus. He says, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we have utterly burdened beyond our strength and despaired for life itself. He said, we wanted to die. And indeed, we felt we received a sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raised his son from the dead. And he delivered us from much deadly peril. And we will deliver us. And on him we set our hope in deliverance for us. Second Corinthians 1. You see what he did? Paul knew the circumstances were ugly, but he continued to rest on the Lord. That God would get him through. John Patton, a Scottish Presbyterian minister who became a missionary and took his wife pregnant to the New Hebrides Islands in the South Pacific. And there, his wife died, giving birth to their child, and the child died also. And the situation that he was in was so terrible because there were cannibals all around them that they were going to try to reach for Christ. That when they buried his wife and his baby daughter, he laid on the grave so that they would not exhume those bodies and eat them. And then when he went on to England on furlough, two years later he came back. The island had gone from cannibalism, pagans, to no one in the ho- and nobody was not a Christian there. They all became Christians. And he asked the chief what had happened. And the chief said, we wanted to kill you. As you laid on those graves, But we couldn't. There was an army that was surrounding you. And when we realized what it was, we gave our lives to your God. John Patton, 1858. See, that's what God does. When we are obedient to him, he'll do that to us. And he gives us the strength to do that. And he brings people around us to support us and gets the job done. Paul knew that. He looked at his friends and he began to speak to Corinthians about his friends. Because they were going to take his place, Timothy especially. He said, when Timothy comes, don't intimidate him. He's doing the Lord's work just as I am. Don't let anybody treat him with contempt. Send him on the way with your blessing when he returns to me. I expect him to come with the other believers. And now about Brother Apollos. I urge him to visit you with the other believers. But he was not willing to go right now. And he will see you later when he has the opportunity. The Apostle Paul knew the working of the Spirit. And he warned the Corinthians not to hurt Timothy, because Timothy was a timid leader. He was young. 
He needed support. Paul knew his heart and he conveyed that to his friends. And then he conveyed about Apollos, who was a strong speaker, but needed the support also. He told the Corinthians that they should. And notice what he said that Apollos, he told Apollos that you need to go to Corinth and Apollos didn't feel that way, didn't feel the spirit was directing him and Paul respected that. That his calling was different than what Paul envisioned. You see, Paul valued people. He valued their relationship with God and the ability to understand God. And we need to undo that with our own friends and brothers and sisters Christ, to value them, what they bring to the table. He goes on to talk about Stephanus' family. He goes also on to talk about Priscilla and Aquila. All these, he encourages them and understands that they have a relationship with God and he respects that. And they do his, their work for the Lord. Paulus would come later on, but it was at the Lord's time and not Paul's. And then we see Paul lay down five exhortations as we close this book to all of us and to the Corinthians. Notice what he says. Be on your guard. Stand firm in your faith. Be courageous. Be strong. And do everything with love. Paul understood what it's like to live in the real world. We all do, don't we? When he says, be on your guard, he's talking to us about the temptations that we face. Each one of us has temptations every day. Our friend Peter said in 5.9 that the devil roars he prowls like a lion trying to bring us down as Christians to fall away from Jesus and not follow his teachings. And that he will try to tempt you in ways that you never knew you could be tempted in and try to pull you away. Paul says, be on your guard. He will use anything to walk you away from the Lord. And then he says to stand firm. The first he says is temptation, but the second is falling into false teaching. Many get tossed around in our society today. This is why there's so many differences among Christians today, because there's so much false teaching. They've gotten away from the anchor truth of Jesus died and rose again from the dead. That he was born of a virgin. These truths some Christian circles no longer hold. And these are the very anchors of our faith. And that's why Paul said back in 15. First importance that Jesus came here. That he died and that he rose again. And if we throw that out as Christians we have no faith. And there are some in the church who've done that. Oh, they wouldn't say it outwardly, but inwardly they have. And we see the attack on our lives and on Christianity. 
A friend sent me an article by a Jewish fella who wrote in the New York Times. And he said at the Christmas holiday celebration <laughs> at the White House, he said, I was disappointed and angered for Christians. And he's a Jew. His name was Levy. And he said, they called the Christmas tree the holiday tree. He said, I was offended for Christian friends. Because they're trying to diminish Christianity from our culture. And this is a, a crime being fostered on our culture. And it's a truth that people want to hear but are not true at all. <laughs> and that's why we need to stand firm in our faith. And it is not only in the outward world, it's in the church that are pulling away from doctrines of sound nature. The virgin birth, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not necessary, some say in theological, it is necessary. It's a historical fact of which we pin our whole health and happiness and hope on for eternity. If you throw that out, it's nothing Christianity is. And that's why we believe in the historicity of our Christian faith. But we need to be standing firm. And then he says, be courageous. Now, this is like saying something. And that we need to be. We need to be strong and courageous when it comes to these issues of life. We have a friend who shared with her friends that were gay and said to them that they are Christians and that she didn't believe in what they did, but she still loved them. They became very angry with her and they put a distance but she did it out of love and being courageous for standing for what she believed in her faith. We see that when Joshua was given the mantle from Moses to take the children into the promised land and to grab a hold of it. And he said to them, God said to him, be strong and courageous and do not be afraid of any enemy, no matter how well armed they are. Be strong and courageous and do not be afraid. For the Lord, your God, goes with you wherever you go. And that's the courage we can have. And then he says, be strong. Oh, I know we can feel weak in the knees sometimes when we're called to stand up in a meeting or stand up for something. And it's easy to get weak. But it's interesting the mood that Paul says this in, in that Greek word. He says, be strong. How do you say that to a weak person? And what it's saying is, be strong in the Lord. Put on his strength. So that you can stand against the wiles of the devil. So that you can stand up when the pressure's on. From society. From your friends. And that you can be strong. And this weakness that we have. He says it. God says it to Isaiah. He says, I know you feel weak. 
He says, in this battle, young men get weary and young men faint. But then he says, but those who wait upon the Lord, who set themselves in the Lord, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings as eagles that will fly. And they shall not grow weary. They will not faint. Because God is their strength. That's what we need. That's the way we approach 2023. That we go forth in the strength of God. Being courageous and standing for our faith. And battling our own lives to guard against the devil's wiles. And that we do everything he says then, with love. That we constantly love the world as our God loves the world. That we don't split into fractions in the church. And that we put away ourself. You see, sin, that letter, number, letter word in the middle of the word sin is I. It's the selfishness that causes us to have problems with each other. And with God. Because we know better than God. We know what's better for us. No. That's sin. What causes damage in marriages and breaks apart families is the letters I. Selfishness. Sin. I want my own way. And Paul says no. But we need to love Love is the opposite side of selfishness. It's selflessness that we deny ourselves. Tape up our cross with Jesus daily and follow his way of love. In those five exhortations, we go into the battle. And we fight the good fight. That we're watchful when temptation comes. That we stand firm with false teachings, that we're courageous when the pressures are on us, that when we're failing frail, that we lean on Christ for his power, and that we push away ourself and follow Jesus. You see, we're living in a world, and a lot of Christians fall into the dangerous trap of dualism, that this is my sacred life. On Sunday morning, I go to church. And on Sunday, Saturday, I'm, 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 I'm a different person. It's a different world. No, Jesus is Lord of everything. And that's why we trust him. And that's why we walk in his ways. And that we have him as our strength to conquer. Folks, this week and this year, as we approach this year, the words carpe diem. Say, seize the day for the Lord. That's what we're to do. Seize the day for the Lord. And we have the strength. If God is for us, who can stand against us? The Lord is my rock and my salvation. Who can stand against me? If Christ is for us, who can stand against us? No one. And that's the way we approach it. Carpe diem. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the privilege that you've called us to this life. And no matter what our circumstances, we know 
that you can change that and give it us an opportunity for your glory. Help us not to falter. Help us to keep our eyes on you, Jesus, and look on you for our strength. And it's through you, Christ, we pray this. Amen. This time, the Lord Jesus, the night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, Take and eat, this is my body which has been broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. remembrance of the body of Jesus Christ that was broken for our sin. Amen. In the same vein, Christ took the cup. And when he had said to them, this is my blood, this do you as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Remembrance of the blood of Jesus Christ that has washed away all of our sins. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for sending Christ to wash away our sins and to be our substitute for your wrath on the cross. Oh God, we are so thankful for the gift that we have in eternal life with you. And because of Jesus, we give you thanks in remembering this. 
We thank you for the reminder this gives us that you're with us and reminding us too of the wonderful future hope that we have in you, Christ, both from this day forward and for all of eternity. Thank you, God, for being so loving. In Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray this. Amen. This time, let us stand together to sing our closing song and first to receive the benediction. And now go in the marvelous grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, who by his Holy Spirit and lives in you right now and is going to use you this week for his glory. May you honor him in all that you say, all that you think, and all that you do. Amen.